Okay. Good. So, the mystery story Cal was talking about. So, this story actually I uh, dedicated to heaven and earth and the 10,000 things. Tomorrow is Earth Day. So, this is where it goes. So, and the story starts in another time forgotten space. In a time was the 26th of December 2004. 9.20 a.m. in the morning. The place was southern India, the east coast, about 40 miles south of Madras, now called Chennai, and the town was called Mahabalipuram. So on that morning, I was staying at this time with my girlfriend in a bungalow close by the beach. It was the only bungalow actually near the beach. The hotel itself was a little bit further up behind on the hill. So usually in the morning I would go out, have a cup of chai, and then play the qigong. And there was a little lawn in front of the cottage, the bungalow where we stayed. And uh, so I'm, you know, it, and at this morning I, I didn't go for chai. I just right away started to do the 18 movements, what we're doing now. And uh, as uh, and the the ocean uh, was about couple of hundred yards down, so, pretty, so I couldn't see from where I was, I couldn't see the ocean, nor I could see the beach. <clears throat> so, doing, uh, practicing, playing the 80 movements, when I came to that movement called uh, pushing the waves, suddenly a wave came all the way up, and I was sitting, uh, saying to myself, that's a huge wave from all the way down there, up there, and kind of like, and I thought it's like a rogue wave, because one time I, while I was serving on Maui, I broke my arm while, you know, while a rogue wave dumped me on the beach. But then I said, no, I looked up in the sky, blue sky, no wind, nothing. And then somehow the seventh sense kicks in. There's something off. But I didn't know what. So I was rushing back to the bungalow. And she was still asleep. I said, get up, get up. And she said, what? I said, just get up. So then she get up looking for her you know, contact lenses and so forth. And I was like, okay, where, where did we hide the money? You know, when you travel, you hide the money somewhere. Where did we hide the money? Where's the passport? Where's the camera? And so I'm kind of like just, you know, looking around. And finally she got dressed. Okay, but I couldn't find anything. It was just like the mind was just too crazy. Actually, I found a, a watch. The only watch, uh, what I took with me was a watch by Mother Mira. And it says, don't worry, I'm here. <laughs> but anyway, so it's still there. So... We got out of the bungalow, and as we were leaving the bungalow, like a second wave came in, rushing into the bungalow, and we made it out of the bungalow. And next to the bungalow, there was a wall, a small wall, maybe like this high, this wide, and maybe six feet long. So we jumped on that wall, and as we were jumping on that wall already, stuff coming out of that bungalow, the backpack, table, whatever was in the bungalow. And then we're standing, and I look, and everything, everywhere, ocean already around us and then I saw another wave coming coming towards me and sort of like pushed me against the wall of that bungalow and then as the, as the wave you know as the wave are moving the wave went back out again and I was holding on to a tree just next to me so that I don't get fl- flashed out or washed out and she was holding on to me really looked like a Hollywood scene you know <laughs> And so, and then I was like, wow, what's going on, you know? And then, like, uh, there was panic, totally panic. Maybe, uh, maybe we can, you know, 
climb, you know, on, on the roof of the bungalow, but there was no way how to climb up. Maybe we are more safe inside the bungalow. But later on, I found out, you know, there was a huge tree in the bungalow. I didn't know how it got in there. So also, we couldn't go back in the bungalow. And in the meantime, all this stuff coming out, uh, there was uh, the aircon got sort of like ripped out of the uh, wall and the TV. And so with one, uh, with one leg, she had to push all these things aside. Otherwise, you know, because a lot of people, you know, got hurt by all this debris floating around. Anyway, so then... I cannot die right now. That's impossible. You know, they have to be like, uh, you only see this on CNN or on BBC, you know, like in Bangladesh or so. And it's just a normal moment, like, like any other moment. There have to be a drum roll, attention, fronts, watch, you know, your life is coming to an end. It was just a normal moment like that. And so and then, okay, panic, panic, how to get out, what to do. And then, <clears throat> and then the fourth wave came. The forces came, it's sort of like it went over us, and then it went out again, holding on to a tree. And at that moment, there was like the certainty there's no escape anymore. And that means, sort of like, okay, if I have, if I have to die right now, may it be so. And at that moment, there was peace in the mind. And, uh, <clears throat> and I remember... Uh, when uh, 9-11 was, 2001 was that, right? I was at a retreat with Eckhart Tolle. And it was at upstate New York at Omega Institute. And then, of course, 9-11 was, was in everybody's mind. And so Eckhart also talked about it. And he said the people in the, in the towers, when they saw the planes coming in, that their mind were at peace. And I said, uh, I don't know, you know. But then... <laughs> But then being, at, being at, uh, in uh, this situation and you know, you, you exhausted all the possibilities how to get out of it. And, uh, and eventually you have to surrender. That's a big surrender, you know. When you get sort of like nailed on a cross, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And there was peace in the mind. And that's the, the, you know, the, I say the optimal surrender for the I, so to speak, is you know, to let go of your body more or less. And that's it. And then when you, when you sort of like have the certainty, okay, that's it. And then there's peace because there's nothing like to defend anymore, nothing to hold on, to hold on anymore. It's like total surrender. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Okay. But eventually no more wave was coming. And then the water recited and so forth. And then, uh, you know, and then we looked around what we, what we found, you know, the door was all the way hundreds of meters down on the beach, and you know everything was sort of in mud and you know just chaos. It took off my longi I had, you know, took off my longi, took off my shirt, so I just had my underwear on. Everything was gone, just like that. So anyway, but obviously my or, or our time wasn't up yet. So that was story, but it was as a second part that story. Cut thirty years before. Berlin, Saturday evening around 10, 10, 10, uh, 10 p.m. in the evening. I was just leaving from a reggae concert and I was going home. And as I was going home, I saw a guy sitting on a sidewalk and he had a tree in his arm. And a tree maybe was maybe, I don't know how high, maybe 10, 12 feet, something like that. So it was a young tree. No? You, still can, you still could see the roots sticking out. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, somebody uh, knocked out that tree. And the tree was like the city of Berlin planted some tree along the sidewalk. 
and some car parked back, back up and knocked out the tree and just let it lie there and, you know, took off. Okay, so I was sitting next to him, you know, so we were both holding that tree and then I said, well, maybe we put it aside because all the people had to step over the tree. So we were, we were sitting there holding the tree. Some other people came, what are you doing? You know, oh, the tree, okay. So eventually we were like seven people sitting there holding the tree. <laughs> okay, now what to do? And uh, at this time I had, an, uh, and I had an antique shop in Berlin and it was nearby. So I went home, got a, a hoe, a spade, you know, a shuffle, all these tools, a pair of pliers to get that uh, wire meshing around, take off. So I went back and then we were all seven people, you know, digging big hole and so forth. So we were working, you know, quite a long time. And then we put the tree back in, put the earth around, holding arms and just, you know, putting energy in the tree when the tree is still alive. <laughs> so, one thing, one can see, you know, we saved the tree, and then 30 years later, a tree saved my life. <laughs> so one can see it, like, you know, from the perspective as, you know, karm, uh, karmic conditioning, you know, came to fruit. So that's a, one way also to look at it. So one never knows. And the other thing is also, like, when I was holding onto, a tr onto the tree, like, oh, what I practiced, you know, my whole life, you know, you watch your in and out breath, you know, mindfully, whatever I learned, it was all gone. <laughs> so I said, see. But then, but then real, uh, later on, you know, uh, re reflecting about it was maybe, oh, whatever I've done unconsciously, you know, maybe manifested in ways that I didn't panic. Something like that. So it's not like, you know, not like a practice I have to do, but the conditioning over, you know, 20 years of practice or how long, you know, maybe let me, you know, be not going in panic. So that's, you know, so one never knows, you know, how all these things are, you know, manifesting, all the practice we are doing. Okay, that's it. <laughs> okay, so the merit of today's practice through the... Uh, practice of vipassana meditation, of you know, having this ethical 